On the heels of the Star Wars Celebration Anaheim Convention, Hakes hosted its first auction solely focused on vintage Star Wars items. Ending on June 2nd, three days after Celebration ended, the auction boasted 200 items, including a desirable and heavily hyped L-slot rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype. The Rocket Fett adorned the cover of the thinner, horizontally stretching catalog sent to collectors' homes across the country and around the world. After a J-slot Rocket Fett broke a public auction record at Hakes in March, selling for $204,000, the general collecting community tuned in to see how the latest prototype would fare. Would this price become the new normal? Or would it stand as a peak in the history of Star Wars memorabilia? And how would the rest of the collection being offered through Hakes fare? The year had been a flurry of activity, with sellers snatching up any vintage Star Wars items they could grab. And it seems they couldn't grab them fast enough. And sales were reaching prices previously unimaginable, as carded and loose figures increased in value on a seemingly weekly basis. Yet as we've recently learned from the trajectory of the stock market, momentum may not last forever. And since this auction was not one of the major catalog ones, but was a Star Wars-only edition, would it receive the same attention among a wider congregation of collectors? Would they show up to bid in the days leading up to June 2nd, especially after spending wampa-sized bundles of cash at spring conventions like Celebration and ICCC? This is part one of an exploration into the June Hakes auction at the history, prices, and trends of the Star Wars-themed offering. This is a conversation with Matt George, Obi-Wan Collector Supreme, co-author of the Kenner book Engineering and Empire, and lover of Reese's Fast Break Chocolate Bars. This is the current state of the Star Wars collecting universe through the lens of a summer auction. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. two months for you. I went through what people of faith sometimes call a season. Figuratively, it was a fall from what seemed to be a very tall tree, and I hit every branch on the way down. My family is cursed. That's what I thought to myself at times. For that joyous Star Wars holiday, May the 4th, I began the month by getting into a car accident. 
A few days later, I found myself in the waiting area of the emergency room after taking my father to the hospital at 3 o'clock in the morning on Mother's Day for an unrelated but urgent situation. We went to two more hospitals for tests and doctor's visits, and he wound up staying at the third hospital for surgery. For the next two or three weeks, my mother took care of him, and I tried to do whatever I could to take the pressure off of my mother. Those days were tough and it was hard to see my father suffering. A week or two after that, my aunt fell at her house. My mom and I, in addition to taking care of my father, now added taking care of my aunt to our lists. As my father started to heal, Star Wars Celebration was about to begin. I had planned to attend it, but opted out of it for this year, and likely wouldn't have been able to go or to stay anyway. Because that Friday, my family got word that my grandmother, one of my heroes, stopped eating and drinking. At the amazing age of 101 years old, her body was finally failing her, and she went into hospice. For a week, any time the phone would ring, I tense up, assuming it would be the call. The weight of the month started to weigh on me, and I couldn't focus on anything. A lot of it was a blur, as I was running as many errands as I could for the rest of my family members. I tried to be there for my mom, and by the grace of God, she experienced what I can only describe as the perfect farewell, getting two hours alone with her mother, holding her and receiving hug after hug from her. The COVID virus that had snaked into every nook and corner of the globe finally made its way into my grandmother's nursing home the day after my mom was with her, blocking any of us from seeing her again. And a few days later, we finally got the call. I dreaded the day of the funeral, of finally saying goodbye to a woman who shaped who I am, what I believe, and how I treat others. But it was a perfect day, A day of peace, a bright spot in an otherwise darkened month. On Father's Day weekend, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, was coaching their son's little league game, jumped up to clear a ball from the top corner of a fence, and landed on a baseball, fracturing his foot. One by one, my family members were being sidelined, and my mother and I joked about one of us being next. Less than a week later, my mom and dad went to see my nephew's Little League game. The team was dangerously close to being eliminated, and my parents wanted to cheer on my nephew. As my mother walked across the parking lot, she suddenly blacked out and fell backward. She described the feeling as hitting her head and thinking she cracked it open, and then feeling the impact on her back and thinking it was broken. She spent the week in the hospital, The doctors gave her test after test to see what caused it, and to figure out the extent of the damage. I haven't really processed this part yet, because she only came home yesterday. All I can say is that if there is a breaking point, I feel like I'm familiar with its shape now. Its rhythm. Its cadence. But as crazy and as harrowing as things have been at times, The friends I've met in this hobby have been true lights, true beacons. You try to be there for others, but when you're at your weakest, the love that your friends show you means so much, and it humbles you and lifts you up at the same time. Whether it was a package filled with mementos from the celebration I missed, 
or an Ahsoka shirt or figure, a chat in person or on Zoom, or the phone calls and text messages from friends checking up on me. Every single one of them came at just the right time and helped me in ways I don't know if I'll ever be able to properly express. And one of those friends is Matt George. A few facts about Matt. He is personally responsible for convincing number one college football prospect Arch Manning to attend the University of Texas. In the early 2000s, Matt persuaded George Lucas to drop the idea of a C.O. Bibbo standalone Star Wars film. And Matt was personally responsible for creating the Thundercats, Transformers, and Wuzzles properties in the 1980s. Okay, so I'm not actually sure that Matt did any of those things. But he took the time to join me for a deep dive into the latest Hakes auction catalog, and to look at the trends and realized prices, and to see how Star Wars collectibles performed in comparison with the March auction from a few months earlier. Unlike our last Hakes series, we're not going to go through every single lot in the entire catalog. After all, there were 200 pieces in it. We wanted to cover some of the overall trends and data that you'll find nowhere else. And we wanted to highlight some of the major and storied items to give you a snapshot of what occurred at the beginning of June at a Pennsylvania-based auction house. We want to help you in your collecting journey. To become a more knowledgeable and informed collector. And hopefully our conversation will help you to get a better appreciation for the pieces scattered across the pages of the June Hakes catalog. There are some really good items in this one. So let's all take a little break from the wildly whirring world around us for an hour or so. Let's settle in somewhere cozy. Your choice will follow. And let's look through the Hakes catalog together for the Star Wars Special Event Auction. George, welcome back. What is happening, SDQ? <laughs> things are going all right. Uh, we um, things have been a little busy over here, so uh, so um, we actually uh, we wanted to go back and take a look at the uh, the Hakes auction, the Hakes premiere Star Wars auction that um, where it was just focused on on Star Wars vintage Star Wars items. I think it had one modern piece in. And um, it was a one-day event, and it it, um, it was on Thursday, June second, twenty twenty-two. And there were some really great pieces that were offered. Uh, there was about two hundred pieces, and so uh, Matt, you and I today are going to go through some of the highlights from that one. I think that sounds like a great idea. Ahead of the July auction, which is coming up, and uh, and that will be a catalog auction. Uh, that covers everything. So, um, but we, how would you describe in one sentence the March 2022 auction? Because we went through, I think we did 10 episodes on that one. That was, uh, let's see, I don't know. How do we describe it? Unreal, I think. Unbelievable. Shocking. Some of the prices that we've, 
found or they were realized in that auction. And, um, you know, obviously we, we had Paul on that, uh, most of the items that were in, that were just setting new records were his. Um, but yeah, like I, I think this June one just to me, just, it was kind of, it seems like they had a ton of submissions and maybe couldn't get them in the March one and didn't want to wait till the July one. So they came up with this, I don't know, new incremental over last year auction. Um, Cause it didn't seem like there was as, as much, um, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is, but um, focus on this one as there was in the March one. Right. Um, well, and I think, I think a lot of that is, uh, a testament to what our friend Paul had, um, because he just he was collecting carded figures that were essentially graded at an eighty-five, you know, uh, as as much as he could, and so I think that filled a large chunk of the March Hakes auction. Yeah, it was great stuff too. A lot. To, yeah, uh, the quality was incredible. Yeah. Um, and I guess when you have uh, a few, uh. Boba Fett prototypes, um, then, you know, you're able to kind of spread it out over these different Hakes auctions. Um, and so, so this one was, uh, it was a substantial offering. We've had some smaller auctions before through Hakes that are action figure focused and they do them. And a lot of times they're, I think they're online only, no catalogs. Um, this one, they created a smaller catalog for, and it was, it was all Star Wars stuff, so I think it was. Um, it came out to two hundred and one pieces. Yeah, just I was running some numbers, um, looking at this auction versus the March auction. I think when you look at just toys, I think there were two hundred and eighty-eight in the March auction, and there were one hundred and ninety-one in this past auction. So, um. I don't know, about a third fewer pieces. Uh, but then when you look at the performance versus kind of what the expectations were, um, this this uh, auction did underperform the one in, in March as well. So when you look at just the percentage of total items exceeding the kind of the high end of the range, um, it's about half of what it was in the March auction. 34% of items um, exceeded the high without the buyer premium in the March auction. And just 16% uh, of the items did in this, in this previous auction uh, that we just had the June one. And why do you, th- what, what would be some of the reasons behind this one underperforming? Do you think? I think the level of quality in that last one was just so much better. Um, you know, you have a lot of items that with you typically see with, with yellow or orange bubbles come up that they came up with clear bubbles the last time. Um, you know, we saw some really high graded 31 backs and 20 backs that set new records and we didn't see uh, a similar performance this time in those subcategories. Um, still some good performance in those areas, but not to the level that we saw the last time. Um, I think the quality kind of dipped a little bit. Um, again, I think this was maybe an auction that wasn't necessarily planned well out ahead of time. It's just, 
I think they've probably had so many submissions given the scale of the last couple um, that they just needed to to add one in. But, you know, again, nothing to sneeze at. Like, it just wasn't kind of where the, the March auction was. I mean, when you have a, another L-slot setting a record, um, it was, you know, overall a good auction. It's just the in terms of the numbers of entries plus – uh, the price is realized. Uh, it just looks like it was maybe a little step back from March. You and I had spoken about the possibility of conventions like ICCC, which happened, I believe, at the end of April, and then Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, which happened at the end of May, and, and actually ended a few days before the uh, this this June Hakes auction. So when you have conventions like that, people are going to the conventions, they're spending money, and a lot of times spending a lot of money, you know, with uh, travel and then also, you know, attending things and buying stuff. Um, and, you know, you and I were talking about that, whether that had a, a part in it. Um, how big of a part do you think something like that would play for Star Wars collectors? I think it was a big part. Um, I think it's probably a bigger um, factor than than maybe some others believe. But, I mean, I was at both of the conventions um, I saw the money that was being spent both places. Like people were actively looking for good items. There was a lot of um, good items for purchase available for purchase at room sales at celebration. Um, while they didn't have a ton of selection of vintage on the floor at celebration, they did have, you know, quite a few good pieces at the booths that did have vintage. Um, there just wasn't a lot of booths that had vintage. Uh, but then room sales, especially if you were into foreign to the U.S. stuff, um, that's probably the best collection of non-U.S. product that I've seen at a, at a room sale so far. Um, but, you know, there's tons of other pieces uh, that they showed up at room sales that were on the higher end. Um, some trained, ch- changed hands, some didn't. Um, but I think a lot of money has been spent on collectibles by the collecting community over the last couple months, just with those uh, two really big uh, conventions happening back to back. Sure. Uh, and I, I think with the slowing of the economy um, and then also, you know, I wonder um, we, we've had and will have a number of Hakes auctions pretty close to one another. So we had the the March one. Um, we had a smaller action figure one at the beginning of May that had some Star Wars stuff in it as well, too. And then we had the premiere Star Wars one in June, and now we're going to have one in July. Do you think that people are feeling a little of the auction fatigue, you know, and, and specifically Hake's auction fatigue with, with that many big uh, auctions happening so close to one another? Yeah, I think so. Um The the June to July just seems like there's just not enough breathing room. It seems like we this auction just ended and we've got another one that starts up in the next couple of days here. Um, so I get they probably have a ton of submissions they're trying to get through. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to see how this July auction performs. My guess is it's probably not going to be uh, as good as the June one. Um but again, I think it's all going to come back to to what items they have in it. If if there's items that 
you know, our grails to, you know, half dozen people, then, you know, those, those prices will get up there again. Like if you see a clear straight 85 Denger 41 back that comes up, that'll probably go for crazy money again. Um, but just for kind of run of the mill AFA 75, AFA 80 items that are not terribly hard to come by, that's where you'll see the, I think the, the market start to, to come back a little bit. Sure. And there's been a clear line drawn between your upper echelon AFA 90s and 85s and then, you know, the 80s, even the 80 pluses, you know, are sort of on that fence, but the, the 80s and the 75s uh, perform a lot of times nowhere near what what an 85 can perform at, um, unless it's something that's incredibly rare. Yeah, to give you an idea, um, this is all U.S. production, uh, graded 80, not 80 plus, just straight up 80. Last time in, in uh, the March auction, those items exceeded their high end of the range by 20, almost 28%. This time, they were below the high end of the range by twenty-seven percent, uh, 26%. Um, we see similar things with, uh, you know, 75. They went from 35% over the range to thir- 29% below. Um, and then, uh, like, 85, that was a little bit more consistent. So this, this auction... Um, they were about 12% off of the high end of the estimate. And then in, in March, they were 7% over. So you can see that 85, like that's the one that's kind of maintaining the value the best. And that makes the most sense. I mean, that's, you know, whether you're a, a, a hardcore collector who's been doing this for a while and are searching for you know the highest quality stuff, or you're a more generalized collector um, who is looking for a really nice display piece, but maybe you're not involved in the community, or you're not you know Hakes is maybe like your your only uh, place where you're, you're you're buying pieces for your collection. Um, those eighty fives are are essentially the standard. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you have a marvelous spreadsheet that you put together yet again, which is uh, wonderful. And I, I think it gives us uh, some really solid insight um, beyond, you know, what, what we can, we can generally see as, as results. Um, so is there anything that stuck out to you in addition to that? The item that I thought would go for a lot more money than it wound up going for was the double telescoping. Darth Vader. I think this one was graded at a 90, a 90. And it was loose. Yeah. Um, I think it was a newer grade and it had a value, like a range of 20 to 35,000. So this was like, they had anticipated this being one of the, I think there's like three or four items that had this value range. Um, maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe about half dozen or so items that had that twenty to thirty-five thousand range, and um, this one did not even hit the low end of the range. 
Um, which surprised me because, you know, for a while their double telescoping sabers were, um, everyone wanted them. They were kind of like the Cadillac in the showroom. Uh, but this one, despite having that range only went for, uh, with buyer premium 17.5. So without just under 15,000. Um, and there was there was one that sold in November of 2021. It was graded a 75. What do you think it sold for, Matt? A 75 in mm-hmm. 21. So last year, 75. November of 2021. Is it uh, 15, 18, somewhere in there? It sold for twelve thousand six hundred fifty-one dollars. And so, yeah. when you when you get into an 85, which is Generally, the standard for most collectors, um, you would expect a bump. I, I would have said somewhere in the the maybe fifteen to eighteen or fifteen to twenty thousand dollars for for an eighty five. When you get into a ninety, a ninety can sometimes uh, push that number severely. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. Seventeen for a ninety in this market is is pretty low. Yeah, and I think someone got a good buy. Um, I think someone had asked a question on one of the threads a while back, like what's another item that could, you could see like going crazy in the future. Um, I think my reply on there was a carded Vader Ben DT saber. Um, I think once more people understand what those are and how few of them, uh, how few of those there are out there, I think that, uh, you know, that has a chance to appreciate quite a bit in value. So, um, yeah, this 90 for under 20,000, uh, to me seemed like one of the bigger surprises we saw in the auction. Um, and then another one, this, uh, 12 back display with header card and tray. So it's almost complete. It doesn't have the dividers, which are next to impossible to find, but this had a range graded, right? Uh, it's not graded, no. Um, it had a range of five to ten thousand, which to me sounded, you know, spot on, given how these have performed in the past. Um, but this one barely had any bids. It was only it only went for thirty two hundred and eighty four dollars after the buyer premium. Um, so this is another one that that. Uh, I think it should be a staple in folks' collection. Um, and here we are. It's fairly affordable. I mean, if you can get another, get one at 3300 bucks in that condition, I think it's it's a great buy. We've seen a number of pieces underperform at Hakes. And a lot of times, you know, and, and it, it can be the, the rarer ones. And a lot of times I think it's the result of it not being graded. Because, again, you're reaching a more generalized audience where they – it might be hard for them to tell the the condition of an item, right? Or mm-hmm. if you if you were to list it as very good, very good to someone might mean something different. If you're not familiar, you know, if you're not constantly looking through that lens. Same thing mm-hmm. with comic books, action figures, anything. So, I think if it were graded, uh, probably double, maybe triple. Mm-hmm. I guess I, depending I on the grade that. too. Yeah. So hopefully, whoever. Got that. Um, since it didn't get graded, because I mean, 
those things look really good cased up. Um, so I think that was a really good buy that someone had there. I don't think it's as good as the uh, painted hard copy minus the arm from the last one for what under two grand. Sixteen hundred dollars. Um, the Kez yeah. I Kez Iben uh, droids hand painted hard copy missing an arm. Uh, that one still hurts. Sixteen hundred dollars for a hard copy, a vintage hard copy. Yeah, <laughs> that one's pretty good. Yeah. Um, another one that under like way underperformed. Its estimate was uh, lot number one hundred, which was the the Chewy Empire box flat for the twelve inch line. Um, it had a range of uh, ten to twenty thousand, and it only had one bid, five thousand dollars. So with the buyer premium, fifty nine hundred. The item that exceeded the range the most. What do you think it was? That's a really interesting question, and I think I know what that is. Um, that is sort of the that's the Tuscan Raider, the 12A Tuscan Raider of of this auction. Um, so in the in the last auction, there was a 12A Tuscan Raider, as great as straight 85s, and it sold for something like eight thousand um, dollars. This one is even more insane, and I'm guessing it is lot number 78, the Chewbacca inflatable bot bag, which is a sealed bot bag graded at a 75. The original estimate was four hundred to seven hundred dollars. Yep. Uh, and it sold for was it was it seven hundred and five dollars? No, no, no. It's it's eight thousand seven hundred and nine dollars, uh, which yep. makes total sense. Yeah, uh, exactly like they thought that would play out. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yeah, the minimum bid was two hundred. <laughs> and then, what's interesting uh, about this too is, hey, if you go into the actual listing. Um, Hakes is missing a photo of the AFA label. Uh, you can you can see it kind of at an angle or upside down in one of the other pictures, so it is there. But um, I was just surprised again that that somebody you know, or I guess more than one person, spent that kind of money uh, and you know wasn't able to see that label as well. Yeah, someone asked me what I thought about this uh, a few weeks ago, and I will perfectly I normal my my run together. Chewbacca bot bag was by far the hardest one to get. So I understand like they don't come around every now and then, but my God for $8,700, like (laughs) I think you could just wait on the sidelines until one comes along that, uh, is a little bit sane when it comes to the price. Uh, we are 20 times, more than 20 times the low range. So, I guess it takes two people to get it up that high and um, just on an item like this to me, it makes no sense. No, I, I couldn't figure out why it was, it was at that price. Um, you know, so sometimes we see this kind of crazy bidding again with something like a 90, uh, like if the, if the loose DT Vader that we saw that was graded at a 90 went for 20 times its estimate, I would say that that would almost make much more sense than the bot bag at a mm-hmm. 75 selling for $8,709. Right. Yeah. And we had a couple of uh, bootleg 
Boba Fett's that popped up on the drastically exceeded the expectations column here. We got item 143 Hungarian bootleg AFA 50. It's, it had a range of uh, five to 10,000 and it hammered at with buyer's premium 20,768. And then the wow. second item, another uh, bootleg fat, this one's Polish. Um, Unassembled, unpainted factory overstock. Now, this has been graded UKG 85. Uh, is expected to go between four and 700, with the premium went for almost 4,700. So, well over 10 times the low end. So, Fed continues to produce. We, you know, we, we hinted at the, the L slot over 230,000. Um, so again, FET, whether they're uh, prototype, production, U.S., Hungarian, Polish, you name it, uh, FET is still in high demand. Speaking of FET, let's jump into the catalog here now and uh, and take a look at that that first listing that, that you had just mentioned. Uh, this was the L-slot rocket-firing Boba FET prototype. It was an AFA 80+. plus. Uh, I think the last one that we looked at the one that sold in um, in the March auction was a J slot. It was graded at a fifty, and it sold with the buyer's premium for two hundred and four thousand dollars. Matt, what was the final price on this L slot, uh, which is, I believe, it's fairly more common, but it's you know still des- heavily desirable and rare, and the eighty plus grade you know certainly helped. Yeah, the L slot is the most plentiful of all FET, uh, rocket FET prototypes. They're, I don't know, somewhere 60, 70, 80, somewhere in there. Um, this one graded at an 80 plus, um, and it sold with the buyer premium for 236000 And so I went back into the Hakes uh, database and so far, five L slots have sold since 2018, uh, and so we've had one sell every year so far. So, in 2018, the first one sold for $86,000. 2019, the second one sold for $112,000. Uh, in 2020, the third one sold for $62,000. And Matt, do you know why it sold for less than what the other two had done? Is that the one with the crazy head? Uh, it had no firing mechanism. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so then the fourth one then sold for $165,000 in uh, 2021. And now this one sold for $236,000. And this uh, firing mechanism sure are expensive. I'll tell you, as... as um, Someone who's had a few friends try to buy rockets for their rocket fats. Uh, those rockets can be very expensive as well. Oh yeah, I, a buddy of mine just sold one of his rockets, and yeah, they go for <laughs> an incredible amount of money, <laughs> especially the J slot ones. Oh, oh yeah, boy. I mean you're, you're you're talking almost in the the vicinity of two Chewbacca Bob bags at that point. <laughs> Everything should just be like. 
Chow, uh, Chewbacca bop bag dollars. So Currency. What for, <laughs> so like $9,000 is one Chewy bop bag. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts on on the, the final price of, of this particular L slot? Well, this is where J slots were selling for not that long ago. Um, we had what a, a broken J slot sold in the last one for two hundred thousand. Um, someone had a J slot. I think it was eighty graded eighty five for sale at Celebration, and then I think. I think they had $360,000 on it, something like that. Um, which, I mean, if you're using L slot at, for an 80 plus at 236,000, if you're using that kind of math, then the, to me, the, the 85 J slot at 360, I guess if a toy makes sense of that price, that kind of does, um, based on how, how these are selling here at Hakes and what the trends are. Um, if I had one of those pieces now, I don't know if I would get rid of it for that price, but um, who knows? We keep thinking that these things can't go any higher and they, they somehow find a way to keep going higher. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lot number two is a Boba Fett engineering pilot. It is, it came in at a little higher than an inflatable bot bag, Chewbacca bot bag, at $9,540. Um, I went back and, and looked at to see if if, uh, if any other engineering pilots, or EPs as we call them, had sold at Hakes and what they had sold for. Um, and this one went for almost double the last Boba Fett EP. So there were a number of other ones, um, other characters, but... Uh, there were two Boba Fett ones, and uh, and that that last one sold. Uh, it was an AFA sixty. This one was an eighty plus, and uh, and it, it again it brought in nine thousand five hundred forty dollars. Uh, in the in the uh, certificate of authenticity that comes with it, uh, it's noted that it had a brighter color scheme than the production figure, and the left foot has a number four written on the bottom of. Just goes to show you, people want anything with Fett. Um. You were talking about how well those uh, bootlegs were doing, and here we have an EP. EPs have not historically been terribly popular here in the last couple of years, and then here we have a FET setting another record for EPs. So, um, you know, if you're going to get one, this is going to a good one to get. It's in great shape. It's a little slightly different than than production with the paint, um, good grade, good provenance. Um, if Tom's grading. EPs, you you know that they're uh, they've got good provenance to them. So, um, yeah. Okay, and then believe it or not, lot number three sold for slightly more than two Chewbacca bot bags. Uh, the this is the the display that um, it's the I believe it's on the back cover of the, of the catalog. And it's the 12 action figures, long header display graded at an AFA 75 and it sold for $18,172. To me, this, my favorite, this is my favorite item in the auction. Um, 
I was a player on this item, but uh, it just went a little bit past where I wanted to spend. But um, I used to own that Ben that was on that header, I believe. I'm thinking of the right one. You're saying the the action figure that was photographed for yeah. that that header for the image on the header. Yeah. Um, this one is really interesting, and I think it started. I think it first appeared in one of the Facebook groups. Someone had owned it. Uh, I, I I can't remember the details. I tried to find the the original post, and uh, I, I couldn't. Um, but. I think someone owned it and maybe it was their father's or somehow they had, they had acquired it and um, they were looking to, to figure out what to do with it. And, um, and so some of some collectors, some of our friends um, started to make them offers on that, on the page. And I I remember, I believe somebody offered $15,000 in cash. Um, And then, uh, you know, there were, there were, um, there were people saying, you know, you should get it graded and authenticated and, uh, but so it it um it's in Hakes. It sold for eighteen thousand uh, dollars. Matt, you said that you were um you were actively bidding on it, and and then um it it kind of reached a point where it went beyond you. Do you feel like eighteen thousand dollars is a fair price for this one? Yeah, I mean it's not one of those things where I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe it sold for that. Um, you know, I I know that there's a couple of folks going after this one and. They had some money to spend, and uh, and I knew I probably it would probably go for more than I wanted to pay for it. But um, man, it's just they they come up so infrequently. I wanted to state my claim to it, but unfortunately, it just didn't happen. The fourth one uh, that we're going to go over is lot number six. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit um, through the catalog and just really highlighting the, the bigger pieces that sold or the, or the ones that really kind of bring upon the, uh, more discussion. Um, but this one was really interesting. This was the Toy Center display. It was graded at an AFA 60. Uh, it sold for almost $13,000. Um, it's a two-sided display. And according to the website, the SWCA, um, it is one of the, the scarcest uh, display headers in existence. Now it did have a, a lower grade on it, um, but again, with something like this where rarity comes into play, uh, the grade really almost doesn't matter. Uh, and, and if this one at a sixty sold for thirteen thousand dollars, Matt, what do you think something like an eighty-five would have sold for? Yeah, th- this is my favorite display that's ever been. Um, like if I were to get one, I would want it in eighty or eighty-five. Um, I mean, one of those would probably go for well over thirty thousand. I would think twenty-five, thirty, somewhere in there um, would be like a minimum. I would think. Just I know who all is after them, um, so it would it, it would take quite a bit of money to get that piece. I would think. Um, I don't know. To me, that's like a when I think of the earliest memories of uh, being in the store, that's the one that I see for whatever reason. Um, that was the one that, that kind of made the biggest imprint as a little kid. It's really cool. And it, it's what's nice about it is because it is a display header, it displays very well. Um, you know, it's one of those pieces that you could put 
anywhere in your collection and it's going to stand out and it's going to be reminiscent of being a child at that time and, and going through the toy store and, and, and seeing that and kind of running over to that section of, of the, uh, the toy aisle. I see that uh, kids did that up in uh, the Northeast as well as down here in Texas, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, the next, the next two lots are, are pretty interesting, and I, I, you know, they go together. Uh, number eight and number nine. Um, so this is the early bird certificate graded at an eighty-five, and then the early bird kit, which has the actual figures in a tray, and that's graded at an AFA eighty. Uh, so they sold for around the same range. The early bird certificate at an eighty-five sold for fourteen thousand dollars. $14,278. In November 2021, an 80-plus sold for $8,700. And in, in March of 2022, at the last big catalog auction, an 85-plus sold for $20,905. Um, so there's, there isn't much of a difference between an 85 and an 85-plus. Uh, to some people, uh, there is. Um, and I, I think these early birth certificates are starting to become more and more popular. Um, you know, they, they really represent the toy line as a whole. Uh, you know, it's sort of the, you know, the, um, the, the physical kind of beginning point, that, that launch point for the, the Kenner Star Wars line. So, of course, it makes sense. Um, Matt, you and I have have talked about the early birth certificate in in detail. Um, you know, you, we both love it. We both love what it represents. Um, what was your reaction to it landing at this price? Yeah, if you've listened to these uh, Hakes episodes before, you know how much I like this piece. Um, I thought the eighty seven hundred was uh, underperformed the market of kind of what I was expecting. I think ten thousand was kind of where that piece I thought should have been. Um, and then we saw kind of the breakthrough in the last Hakes auction when that 85, uh, you know, went for, what'd you say around 20? Um, yes. $20,905. Yeah. And that, that to me was like, okay, people were starting to get this thing. Um, and then you had this one here, 85, still kind of well over that 10,000, uh, at 15. Like to me, I'm, I'm glad that, these are starting to get the recognition that they're deserved because these literally, these should be in everyone's collections, in my opinion. Like this is the kind of the perfect toy item to have. If you have any appreciation for the Star Wars toy hobby. I remember when these were under $2,000 already graded, you know, and 80, 85 like that. And I just, I, I I'm still kicking myself for not picking one up because I, I do love them. I think they're beautiful. Yeah, and um, hopefully you, you can uh, still get one one of these days. Hopefully they don't get too crazy. I was I was kind of surprised at the price. I just I expected you know the last one again. It was an eighty five plus, but I, I was just expecting this one to kind of land higher. You know, somewhere around the twenty thousand dollar mark. Hmm. But I I think it's one of those pieces that. The appreciation for it and the interest for it hasn't been fully realized yet. Um, so I, I do think we're going to start to see these, you know, go further and further. Um, and I, I could see them kind of hitting that that thirty thousand dollar range at some point. After the early bird certificate, we had the early bird kit. So this was a complete graded kit 
um, that was that was fully displayed, and you could see it has uh, the, the four early bird figures, which was Luke, Leia, Chewbacca, and R two D two. The Luke was the more common but more heavily desirable uh, double telescoping Luke. Um, the The entire piece earned an overall grade of an AFA eighty, and it sold for fifteen thousand five hundred seventy six dollars. Again, the equivalent of two Chewbacca inflatable bot bags. Um, <laughs> Matt, if you had to pick one for your collection between the early bird certificate and the early bird kit, which one would you go for as far as displaying? Mm, that's a great question. To me, I you almost can't have one without the other. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I would probably rather uh, have something figural related. So if I could only get one, I would probably get the one with the figures. And if I were to do that, I would get the DT Luke. Um, and they're tougher to find in these, in these, uh, you know, 80, 85 conditions. Um, just the, the tray and the, the baggies and the figures that you got a lot of white on the figures that can fade. And, um, there's just a lot of potential room for those items getting uh, in poor condition over the years. So to have one pop up where it's DT Luke, you know, the, the Leia's clothes are very white. Luke's tunic is white. Um, 80 condition like this, you know, if one was going to get up to 15,000, I could see why this one did. I think if there were two of them in front of us, the certificate and the early bird kit, and we could only each take one. I think you and I would walk away very happy because I would I would actually go for the certificate. Um, I've always wanted an early bird kit. I, w- I was never I never grew up with one. I, I was I was born after uh, the the initial movie, so um, I I never grew up knowing about it until much later uh, or seeing it you know in stores or anything. But um, owning the early bird kit would cause me too much stress. And it's for all the reasons that you said. It's the, the tray is so fragile. Um, three of the figures are prone to heavy discoloration. Um, the baggies, you know, if they're tape sealed, I mean, they can, they can you know, essentially dry up and, and come loose at any point. Uh, and I, I think for, for me, for the value of, of a piece like that, I would just be too concerned with everything that could go wrong with it. Whereas with the early birth certificate, if it's sealed, it's most likely going to stay, stay sealed, uh, and as long as it doesn't, you know, drop off of a, a counter, uh, like I saw that happen with a with a, a friend of mine, um, then you know it should be okay. And uh, I, I love the art on it, and uh, I think I'd be happy, you know, just owning that and displaying it. Yeah, you can't go wrong with either piece. Um, no, no, they're both yeah, incredible. I love them both. Uh, I don't say equally, but I'd probably just like the. I guess the deciding factor would be, you know, one's got actual figures, the other one doesn't. But again, that certificate package is so important to the history of the line that everyone should own one. It's a serious collector, I should say. Yeah, and it is nice to see it getting recognition that I think it's deserved for a number of years now. So, um, so the next lot is uh, lot number 10. It's the loose double telescoping Luke. It's the circles variant, which means if you look closely at the the hilt, 
um, it has tiny little circles um, imprinted on the side of, of, of the hilt. And uh, a lot of the, the hilts have uh, a letter uh, or, or multiple letters on the, the tip of the hilt, um, which I think indicated the, the mold that was used. But, um, but this one is, is unique and special because it does not have any lettering. And instead, it, again, it has the circle. So it's called the Circles Variant. This one was graded at AFA 85, and it sold for $5,841. Um, Matt, I have to tell you, I, I know that these are very popular. We've been seeing them, I believe, sell sort of in the... For a long time, they were kind of a, maybe around $1,500 to $2,000. And then they... Oh, yeah. you know, they they started to increase in popularity, and and for me, I, I think I've been seeing them sort of in that, I'll say around three thousand, anywhere from twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred over the past year or so. What was your reaction to to this final price? Yeah, shocking. Like the, you know, your point when people first got on Facebook and started filling in gaps in their collections, the, these started selling really fast at at a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks. Um, and you could get one for that price range for years and years. And seeing this all of a sudden shoot up to, to 5,000, almost 6,000, uh, to me, that's, that's incredibly shocking. Yeah. It's a great piece. And as you said, these double telescoping figures on card or loose are going to continue to rise, um, because there, there is a history with them. There, there is an intrigue. Um, they, they display beautifully. So I, I think there's a lot, and, and it's, it's also, it's, it's, you know, three of your major original 12 characters. So, uh, the values will rise. Um, Luke's are fairly common, you know, especially compared to a, a Vader and a Ben, but, um, do you think this is kind of a, a one-off or do you think this is now the new price that we'll start to see these go at, especially at a Hakes auction. I'm surprised we haven't seen more pop up for sale on the heels of this auction. Um, but I, I, I would, to me, this is just such a large price that I, I would have a hard time thinking another one, if it were to pop up, would approach this. But, um, you know, we've seen stranger things. I just, as an aside here, we talked about DT lights to me, like, hundred years from now, when people are looking back on star Wars, like what will they remember the most? The, to me, this is just my opinion. The coolest thing that star Wars has created is the lightsaber. I think it's the coolest thing that like swords have been around forever. This is the fresh take on, on swords. Um, I don't know. I, and anything associated with a lightsaber to me, um, just has an extra level of coolness just because it's the awesomest weapon ever invented for fictional stories. Um, so I'm always going to kind of side on the side of lightsabers. And uh, to me, like if you're getting a lot of new people in the hobby, this is the kind of thing like double telescoping lightsabers is something that they would learn about and grow to appreciate over time. And um, I don't know. That's why I think that, you know, I answered that question the way I did about, you know, what's the next kind of grail item that, that people will be on the lookout for, um, you know, along the lines of a FET. And to me, that's just the one that made the most sense with this card of DTs. 
I agree. And, and we haven't really had one sell in a while, I think. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see if, if a, uh, especially a, a carded Ben or a carded Vader turn up at, at a Higgs auction again. Yeah, I, I've seen only like two or three Ben's and two or three Vader's exchange hands. And, um, you know, it's, I think a Ben, there's one Ben that was a private sale that, that hit six figures. And I think the Ben's that have traded, traded hands, uh, publicly in these auctions and, and for sale been a little bit short of that, but, um, yeah, just as there's just not too many of them out there to begin with. Um, you know, I've been looking for Ben's for 30 some odd years and, and, um, I physically only ever held one carded DT Ben and it was for sale at a show. And, uh, the guy wanted a hundred thousand for it. I just didn't want to pay that. Um, but they're just incredibly hard to find. It's so much harder to find than, than a rocket fed. So I think, I don't know. I just, I don't know how we got on this tangent, but, uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, this Luke DT getting 6,000 while it makes sense, uh, when you're looking at it kind of from that double telescoping specialness factor, when you're looking at it though, from like a, where the market has been traditionally. Yeah. To me, like, I don't know. It's just a really high price. I the do want to see a, I, I really wish someone would put a, a carded DT, uh, Ben and Vader in an, a Hakes auction. I just want to see what they would do now. Absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, a few years ago, the last ones that we had show up at Hakes were the white footer versions, um, which are, I, I don't know if, if, if any had turned up publicly previously. Um, so it would, it would be nice to see something like that turn up now and uh, in, in this market and, and see what actually happens with it. Likewise. The next one that I wanted to bring up to you, it was one that I like, but I, I, I wanted to hear your opinion on it because you and I did talk about this before the auction ended. Um, this was a 12A R2-D2 figure uh, carded with a dark blue dome. It had been graded by CAS and it was given an 85 as a grade. Uh, and it, it's listed as being a dark blue dome figure. So it ended up at uh, a price of 6000 it ended up at a price of $7,695. My question to you, and I think, again, we, we talked about this in detail for a while, is it really a dark blue dome? Because that makes a huge difference when it comes to mm -hmm. the price of this. Yeah, and you know, back to our conversation about ungraded versus graded items. If they're saying it's dark blue dome, uh, that's good enough for some people to be like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's gone through these third parties. I'm just, you know, that's good enough for me. Um, I couldn't tell hundred percent one way or the other from the photos. If it was in fact a dark blue dome, um, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know the answer to it. Um, but, um, yeah, great question you asked. And because, you know, 
um, we've seen we've seen errors with all grading companies. You know, there the the volume that they do. Of course, you know there will be errors. Um, so it you know it's not it's not against you know any particular grading company or, or the grading companies in general. But it's just with this particular one. I looked at the images that were supplied by Hakes, and I looked at the images that were supplied in the catalog. And to me, it just I I, I own a dark blue dome R two. I've seen numerous ones, and there it, it, you know there there's a huge difference. Um, and I just I don't see it in this. So I was just you know wondering. Um, hopefully, the person who who got it, you know, again maybe it could have been um, you know an issue with with the image itself or the flash or anything like that. But it just, um, you know, hopefully the person who is expecting to, to get a carded dark blue dome figure graded at an 85, which is a, uh, a nice rarity, um, actually received a dark blue dome, uh, R2. Well, what are, what are your thoughts? I don't believe it is. No, no. Um, because you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen them photographed and there is a difference. Um, originally I thought, okay, maybe it could be the flash, but the flash would show up against the back of the card or show up on a bubble or, you know, it's something, something where it would, if it's going to change the color of the dome, it would have changed the color of almost everything else. So I'm leaning toward the fact that it is not. Interesting. Shots fired. Well, no. Hey, I, I, that's that's what I'm assuming. Uh, I'm hoping, though, as I said, that the recipient is very happy with it, and it is the darkest of dark blue domes. So. Well, it is a 12A85, and it went for 7,700. I mean, even if it's not, I guess it's a little pricey. Would the value be half of that if it weren't? It's hard to tell with these twelve A's now, I and mean, some the prices are getting kind of high for some of these twelve A eighty fives. Sure, um, like a three PO went for fifty one hundred. Like, um, I don't know. Maybe it's a couple thousand dollars too high, but um, yeah. It, whoever won that dark blue dome, if you get it, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on it. Yes, please let us know. <laughs> um, lot number 24. Uh, I, I think, you know, so this is the, the 12A carded vinyl Cape Jawa graded at an 80. And um, so one in, in June of 2021 graded at an 85 sold for $24,245. And I remember at the time, many collectors were shocked and, and almost annoyed uh, that they were selling for, for that type of price at, at, a, at a, a more, you know, a wider reaching auction like, like Hakes, you know, where it was felt like, okay, that, that's not really the price of what collectors are paying for them. And then, um, so that was March, that was June of 2021. And then in March of 2022, uh, at the big March auction that, that we discussed in great detail uh, a few months ago, uh, one that was graded at a 75 sold for $36,285. I can't remember if at the time what our, what our thoughts were about it, but I, I thought, you know, we just, I don't know if we expected it to last. I think we thought that was an outlier. And, um, 
you know, uh, and it, to, to me, it just, you know, if it happens more than once at an auction and, uh, it sort of then becomes the standard. And I think we're now looking at the 12A vinyl Cape Jawas as becoming, uh, heavily desirable. This one now at an 80 sold for $40,887. Hmm. Hmm. For an 80. Was it a back to, mm. yeah, blew past the, the high end of the estimate at 35, 41,000 with buyer premium. That is, it's a crazy world we're living in here. Well, and it's interesting. I always find it interesting to see which items appeal to a wider crowd, right? So people maybe who aren't completely hardcore Star Wars collectors, but who want, you know, certain pieces, there are certain prestige pieces. And I think, you know, we're really at the point where the vinyl Cape Jawa, especially the carded ones, um, have reached that point, you know, and, and there are a few of them now it's the, it's the rocket fats. Um, it's, uh, I guess some of the early bird stuff, any of the, you know, the, the double telescoping figures as well too. And, and I, I think you have to put the vinyl Cape Jawa in now. Um, and maybe this won't last. Maybe, you know, we've, we've seen them over time rise and fall in price. Um, you know, there was a point, I think it was in March of 2020, right around when the pandemic started. Um, I think an 85 sold for $8,000. Um, you know, but, uh, we haven't seen an 85, in this new market sell yet. Mm -hmm. And I believe the July auction has an 85. Well, you know, as we had talked about on one of the previous episodes, there is not a shortage of AFA 85 vinyl cape jaw was on card out there. Right. There is an issue with, uh, you know, a number of them, um, being sealed like that where, uh, you know, we're starting to see certain capes discolor. So there's Mm -hmm. always that, that fear with them, but Mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, there's, um, if if you want to get one, they're out there. Um. Yeah, and because so many survive through like these um, muse- uh, not, movie theaters would get cases of vinyl cape Jawas that were just vinyl cape Jawas, and not all those theaters got through all of the vinyl cape Jawas and wound up, you know, a number have been found in these cases still. Um, in really good condition. So when you do find a carded one, chances are it's going to be in really good condition. Cause there was a, you know, I, I want to say there were two finds out there of th- movie theater, vinyl Cape Jawas, um, that have turned up over the years. Um, so they're out there in good condition and those theater finds are the reason why. So the last one I want to bring up now is the is lot forty six, and it's the collect all twenty one action figures display. Uh, this one is also graded by CAS. It was given an eighty five, and it came in at nine thousand nine hundred thirty five dollars. Um, Matt, are you a fan of this display? I am. I like this one a lot. I like that it's the. I don't know. In my head, when I think about Star Wars toys, I always think about it in terms of like card backs. And um, this kind of takes the card back to like a whole new level. Like it's not the full body. It's just, you know, the 
headshot from the cards. Um, and then there, you know, you get, you get a couple, uh, like Leia giving you the, Oh, please lay a look. Um, Chewy. I, I, there's just a lot going on here. That's, uh, you don't see everywhere else. Like you don't really see Chewy. We're in the, the, uh, the head, the headset. And I don't know what Fett's doing there, but it looks pretty badass. Um, I don't know. It's just a lot of cool things you're not going to see anywhere else in the in the Star Wars line. The Hakes listing has this as the rarest of the three bin header displays issued in the U.S., likely due to limited distribution. Uh, and then the SWCA mentioned that this is the last Star Wars action figure header in 1979 before transitioning to The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, and it, like... Whoever cut this piece was maybe uh, throwing a few back over the lunch break. Not exactly uh, centered, is it? But regardless, I mean, you, these these things don't pop up too much. Um, even for the header, that's why you see a five to ten thousand dollar estimate. But um, really, really cool. I mean, I I've just been looking at the at the time we've been talking about this just looking into even more detail and um some of these images you're not going to find anywhere else except on this header yeah and it's again it's an it all the images are from uh the film or from shots from the film but um you know and not the figures um but it it is a really great piece yeah like it's so weird like you you've got some of the uh, characters on here are obviously just crops of their card back, like the, the card art. Um, and then some of them, I have no idea like where they got them. Cause you don't see them anywhere else on any kind of toys. Like, like the, the Leia shot, the Chewie shot. Um, there's just, uh, there's some really cool shots here. I'm sure whoever won this was extremely happy because I think they probably paid a lot less than what they thought they were going to have to pay. So that's a look at the first part in the Hakes catalog. Stay tuned for part two as Matt and I explore some of the fascinating pieces in the rest of it. We discuss some of the Empire Strikes Back carded figures that have reached 12 back prices, another selection of Revenge of the Jedi proofs, how some of the carded and clear bubble Return of the Jedi figures fare this time, and the surprises from Hakes' Power of the Force offering. All this and so much more in part two of Hake's Star Wars Special Event Auction on Star Wars Prototypes and Production.